The Australian bushfires of 2019-2020 were some of the worst fires we've experienced in our nation's history. These fires ravaged over 110,000 square metres of our land. That's the landmass of England or thereabouts. 173 people died, including two firefighters. 2,055 houses were destroyed. Nearly 3 billion animals were killed or displaced. Every fire starts from a spark or a flame and from that tiny origin it begins to wreak havoc. Well we are continuing today in the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. He died around the 60s AD. So he had 30 years of ministry after Jesus' death. And he has written a letter which seems to be heavily based on Proverbs chapters 1 to 9 and the Sermon on the Mount, mainly from Matthew's Gospel chapters 5 to 7. It's a very practical book uh, built around 12 main teachings. James 3, 1 to 12 is somewhat of a classic about taming the tongue. So we're in James chapter 3 and starting in verse 1 today. James teaches that the tongue is small yet immensely powerful. It's vulnerable to evil and it's the source of life and death. So small yet immensely powerful. Let me read from chapter 3 verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. James, I think, is giving an early teaching on the Pareto distribution model. In the world, power accumulates more power. And that power is typically very narrowly distributed. Wealth tends to create more wealth. It's often quoted that Jesus said to he or she who has been given much, much will be given. It's a principle in the world. Poverty creates more poverty. I think it's something like this. The eight richest people in the world have the wealth of the three and a half billion uh, poorest combined. It seems that throughout history, it is very hard to discover a society where this is not the case. Whether they're capitalist or communist, wherever you sit on that scale between left and right when it comes to ideology, there always seems to be a gathering of power, of wealth to a small few. Even primitive societies tend towards this distribution of power. This is the point 
James is making. Power is nearly always found in the minority, in the small. Jesus teaches that the only way to turn this principle on its head is through radical kingdom living. But even radical kingdom living begins with the small, the mustard seed of faith. James starts firing off a list of examples of the small controlling the large. Verse 3, a bit in a horse's mouth. So small, yet controls this powerful animal from the bit. Or verse 4, a large ship is controlled, how? By the rudder, a relatively small part of the vessel. Sparks begin forest fires. So small, yet so powerful. And of course, James talks about the tongue, a small part of a human's anatomy, yet playing such a significant role in the direction of a person's life. Now, James is clever. He, in all of this, is building the metaphors around one significant message he's trying to communicate. And that's this. Beware of the false teachers in your midst. They speak words from their tongues out the front of the gathering and they have enormous power to guide the church. And he's speaking to multiple local churches who are all being affected by various teachers. They have these teachers, they have been teaching that favoritism is okay. They've been teaching that you don't need to do any good works with your faith. Faith by itself, without helping the poor, is fine. But this is wrong. James is saying that in the same way the tongue guides the physical body, teachers guide the spiritual body. Hence, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This passage is primarily a warning to the church about listening to the wrong voices. Now, that's a little disconcerting because right now I'm feeling fairly convicted and challenged and under scrutiny. I would feel it much more if I was looking around at a group of people in the room and I was up the front, but still even online. I'm the one standing behind the pulpit. How would we all be able to share in the conviction? Well, of course, many of us get to teach others in the ways of Jesus and we should feel accountable for what we teach. We should also consider, in a general sense, how we steward power. Because James's teaching on taming the tongue is as much about words as it is about the use of power by the few to affect the many. It's about how we use a small amount of time to influence others for a long time. Think about how long a parent has with their young children and how much good or harm they can do for a lifetime and then some. Multiple generations can be affected by a relatively small amount of time that a parent has wielding and stewarding power over and influencing their kids. So let's think application. Where do you wield power? 
Where do you steward power in your life? Where are you most like the bit in the horse's mouth, like the rudder of the ship, like the speech of the body? Who has been entrusted to your care? I think it's really important to identify where we are stewarding power because James believes that power is always vulnerable to misuse. It's vulnerable to the infiltration of the enemy of our souls, the enemy Evil in the world targets centres of power because if evil can corrupt the rudder, the ship doesn't steer straight. If the heart is corrupt behind the tongue, Proverbs 18.21 says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Where do you steward power and where are you vulnerable to that power being misused. The tongue is small yet immensely powerful and it's vulnerable to evil. Let me read from verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. James doesn't hold back here. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. James says the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. The word he uses here is Gehenna. Check out this little video. The beautiful valley here to my right is uh, the valley that Jesus refers to as hell in the first century in the Gospels. This is Gehenna. Hundreds of years before Christ, it has a pretty terrible uh, story and history. They used to sacrifice children to the pagan god Moloch here. By the time of the first century, my understanding of Gehenna was that Jerusalem is just over there and this was basically the city garbage dump. All sorts of things were left here at times even dead bodies, and they would be burnt, and uh, the flames and the smoke rising up certainly provided a, a powerful image for Jesus to grab hold of and talk about eternal hell in similar terms. Certainly doesn't look like Gehenna now. So when Gehenna is used in the first century, there's no ambiguity about what Jesus or James are referring to. It's a place 
a literal, physical place of destruction. It's a place of evil. It's synonymous with Satan's domain. Jesus certainly refers to Gehenna as a place of eternal punishment, but it's a place outside the city. For James to say that the tongue is vulnerable to the powers of Gehenna, he's not holding back. His main point is that if the church listens to false teachers who are guiding them away from the true gospel, their destination is Gehenna. Their destination is the place of eternal punishment. This is very serious. The church, Christ's body, can get spoiled by tongues that are corrupted by evil. And this evil has its origins with the father of lies whose domain is Gehenna. Tongues, James says, can be set on fire by hell itself. Something to think about, isn't it? Next time you just harmlessly perpetuate with your tongue a story about someone who you've heard something about in the church family or in your school community or in the workplace. Reputations, relationships, careers, families, church families, Get ruined by tongues. Actual physical bodies get corrupted by tongues. The tongue speaks lies. It affects us physically when we live in a place of, in a state of deceit. The tongue curses. The tongue tears down, doesn't it? The tongue shames. The tongue is immensely powerful. James suggests that it is an untamable world of evil. In fact, the way that he describes the animal kingdom, I just read it out, is meant to remind the reader of the wonder of creation. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed. We're meant to think stewardship mandate. We're meant to think God creates everything. He puts man and woman inside of creation and says, look after it all, tame it all, steward it all, bring it all under my reign. James says, yeah, we've done a pretty good job of that, but not this, the tongue No one can tame it. The tongue is vulnerable to evil. And this is concerning because remember the Pareto distribution principle. Power gathers in small pockets. The most powerful are normally not super accountable because of this distribution of power. Think Joseph Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, the list just goes on and on of human beings who have used their tongues to sprout forth ideology that convinces the masses that certain people do not hold value as human beings. Small groups of people putting forward ideology that is set on fire by hell itself has 
caused so much harm in humanity, it's beyond words to describe. Mao killed 45 million Chinese in four years. James is saying, don't miss the fact that the abuse of power that we have seen in history, that's propagated through ideology, spat out of mouths, using tongues, comes from the evil one. Its origin is hell, hell itself. Think about the, the principle of inordinate power, which corrupts absolutely in more broad terms. Sex drive. Sex drive is, is a bunch of chemicals in the brain affecting the body, but it's coming from a smaller part of the body which is controlling the rest of the body. Think about what sex drive does to whole communities when it drives people to act in ways that are harmful to others. Consider the power of words in a person's life. Your words. If you have kids, your words to your kids are so powerful. Your words to your parents, your words to your friends. Sometimes we have perceived enemies. Words from tongues affect generations. Talk about power with words. You can mess around to the third and fourth generation. A child grows up disempowered by words. It might be a bully in their life, it might be a parent, but there are words spoken, curses spoken over a child's life. And that child grows up believing certain things about them because they were told them with words. And they end up feeling so much pain that they try to get rid of the pain. So they self-medicate through some sort of substance or they self-harm. They're just trying to get rid of the pain. And then they end up hanging out with people doing the same thing because they had words that affected them by their influential people in their lives, sometimes parents. And these people get together and then they have kids and they've had no modelling in their families of origin about how to use words to build up. So they tear down and they curse and this goes on and on and on. Can you see how words... A small clustering of power in time and space can affect the ship. Now, the ship, in this case, is a whole generations of a family line. My brothers and sisters, James says, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The tongue is small yet immensely powerful, vulnerable to evil, and it's the source of life and death. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue which produces salt water is actually coming from a salty heart. James is basing his teaching off um, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke 6.45, Jesus teaches a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The tongue has the power of life and death. Your tongue, 
has the power of life and death. It is inordinately powerful. It is disproportionately powerful, like a rudder that steers a huge ship, like a bit in a horse's mouth. James says it can't be trained. But he does say this. It's really interesting. He says in James 3, 2, we've already read this, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, that word teleos, able to keep their whole body in check. Teleos means complete, perfect, mature. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, be perfect, again the same word, teleos, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what's going on here? Well, James says the tongue is out of control. You can't tame it. But if you can tame it, it's the best start to controlling your whole body. If you want to move towards completion, maturity, perfection, work on your tongue. Because if someone can keep their tongue in check, they move really well towards teleos, to perfection. And Jesus actually says, I want you, with the Spirit's empowering, to shoot for perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What an extraordinary thing for James to say. Anyone who has never a fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So how? How would we consider uh, some exercises to use uh, to move towards taming our tongue? Well, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4.8, we wrote to... Uh, Timothy said, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. What are some of the exercises, the spiritual disciplines that we could do to train ourselves, to train our tongues to be godly? Well, here are some. These have been used by Jesus' followers over the centuries. Exercise number one, servanthood. The tongue wants power. And a little bit of power that we experience has a way of convincing us, I want me some more of that power. So how do you stop that progression? Servanthood. Servanthood radically inverts power. Jesus came to serve. Jesus demonstrated that the greatest power in human history is revealed on a cross. Amen. If you want to be perfect, control your tongue. If you want to control your tongue, embrace servanthood. I want to use my tongue to serve others, not demand servitude. I want to put my body in places where I'm serving others. And guess what happens with my tongue? My tongue has to come along for the ride. Servanthood puts your tongue in place where it needs to learn to follow Jesus' model, the radical inversion of power. The tongue is tamed through embracing the cross and carrying your own cross through humility and servanthood. Exercise number two, to tame the tongue, solitude. Take away the opportunity of using your tongue. Spend time somewhere that's... Uh, 
natural. He can hear natural sounds. Spend it with God. Solitude. When I go into solitude, my problem is I start talking to myself. And then I realise, wait on, this is not the point of being in solitude with God. It's all about listening, not just talking. So slowly I stop and I begin to listen. And I find that solitude is a wonderful exercise that starts to tame the tongue. Exercise number three, silence. Silence. Practice the art of not having the last word. That's how you tame your tongue. Lots of us have um, never had a conversation or debate, let alone a verbal fight, without wrapping it all up with a final summary. Surrender your need to have the last word. Be silent. Put your finger in front of your mouth physically while it's going on and you're trying to exercise silence. Just nod knowingly. Um, Don't dominate the small group. Do these ones. Because one or two can dominate the many. This is the Pareto distribution principle. This is what James is saying. Power tends to be focused. If you know you have power through your tongue, don't dominate that group you're in. Exercise silence and see if you become more godly. The Bible says, where there are many words, sin is not absent. Exercise number four, submission. Choose to submit. It's what the first three are all about, submission. I know maybe you've got a sharper wit than most people you engage with. Submit anyway. Don't say the response you feel you need to say and see what happens. Be patient. Find out if God wants you to contribute words in that moment. Submit to a longer time frame to find out what God wants to say. Submit to the Word of God and its authority over your life, which will often affect what you will say to people. Don't you reckon that's what happens? When we come under God's Word, it speaks to us about what words we should say. Submit to wisdom from other people's tongues who are speaking into your life. Think about the importance of the tongue in the manifestation of spiritual gifts in the church. If we are going to be a church that is used by God as the body of Jesus, we need the manifestations of the Spirit's gifts. Think of these gifts. I've got them on the screen there. Administration. We need the tongue to be used in all of these. Discernment, evangelism, the good news are proclaimed using the tongue. Exhortation. So many of the spiritual gifts need a sanctified, disciplined, trained for godliness tongue. James 3.2 Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. The tongue is So, so powerful because it speaks words and words carry life and they can carry death. I want to encourage us from this passage that a loosened tongue in the name of Jesus, a loosed tongue in community used for the glory of God has 
unlimited potential. What do you think? A sanctified tongue speaks life and life begets life. A tongue used to build up, builds the kingdom, proclaims the kingdom, allows the light to push back the darkness. That's what God uses tongues to do. In the name of Jesus, tongues declare truth. Tongues rebuke deceit. Tongues set captives free. Tongues in the name of Jesus break chains of evil, release healing and victory and freedom. Hallelujah. Tongues proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Tongues declare, crown him with many crowns. Oh, for a thousand tongues to say that. Tongues lift up the downcast. They convince and they clarify and they guide and support and validate and affirm and question. Tongues praise and worship and bless. Tongues bless. They can curse, but they're designed to bless to the thousandth generation. May the only fires we set with our tongues at Northern Life be the fire of revival. Amen. And may we steward well the power of our tongues. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us uh, this immense power that is in our mouths, our tongues. With our tongues, we can worship you and say that which is true. We can proclaim the good news to the world. And yet we know our tongues are so vulnerable. So I pray, Lord God, that you would protect us. All of us here meeting online, we're coming under your word today and we're asking for your grace to empower us to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. Help us to choose the right exercises to train ourselves for godliness. Lord, we want to be a church who can tame tongues by your grace that we might have our whole bodies in check and our whole church life in check that we might move by your grace towards teleos. Perfection. In the name of Jesus. Amen.